0: Men, you may be seated. It is a great pleasure and privilege to get to be with you this morning and to speak to you. Um, about a month ago, I was given the opportunity to speak at HCH Chapel over on the west campus, and I had. Some students that I asked, I said, what would you like to hear? What type of message would you like to learn about? And um, one student in particular, they said, Aaron, I would, I would love to, to hear a message on how do I preach the gospel? How do I share the gospel? How do I tell others about the good news that I have? And that kind of took me back at the profoundness of what they were saying, and yet At the same time, it had me asking myself, well, what do I say? What do I tell them? Where do I go? You know, there are different tools and methods and approaches and groups, and they all will tell you different techniques and uh, things that you can do. Uh, But I wanted something from God's Word, something that I could point to the Scriptures and say, here, here is what we do. I found myself at the text that you see before you this morning, and we'll be reading from John chapter 4, a very familiar story. It's the story of the woman at the well, as she is often called. We have someone here who comes in contact with Jesus, and it immediately changes her life and the life of those around her. And I think that she serves as a great example to answer the question, what do I say when we share the gospel? Because, you know, if a lot of us are honest, this is a very stress-inducing question. Uh, It's something that makes us step back. It's one of those when someone says, so what do you believe? Or what church do you go to? Or what background do you have? We start thinking about the dozen things we need to do, and all of a sudden, you know, we left our oven on, or there's kids in the car, or there's something we've got to get out of there fast. I want to hopefully help calm some of those fears this morning and encourage you in sharing your faith through this text. But before we do that, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask His help in reading and hearing His Word today. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege to get to study Your Word. May we never take for granted that the Bible has been preserved throughout history It has been written in a language that we can understand at the sake of lives, at the sake of people, um, people who decided that it was far better for them to die and others have a copy of your word than them to live and it not go forth. Help us to take very seriously what you have written for us. Help us to appreciate that which John has so carefully laid out. Open our minds, our ears, and our hearts today, that we might receive your word well, and do so by your name and in your name, for it is in that name that we pray now. Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, I invite you now to turn to John chapter 4. Uh, The text is also in the insert um, from your bulletin. This morning I will be reading verses 19 down to verse 42. This is the word of the Lord through the Apostle John. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. Then we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Amen. This ends the reading of God's Word. May He place all of its truths upon our hearts today. To properly set the stage, we need to go back just a little bit to see what's going on. We kind of jumped in midstream. Jesus has just left a city um, after doing some ministry work Uh, As often happened, the Pharisees kind of got pushy, and so he moved on to the next place. And the text says that he had to go through or by Samaria. And so he finds himself at Samaria at a well. Why? Because he was thirsty. And while he was there, he ran into a woman. He asked her for a drink of water. But the text says that it was the middle of the day, We can't miss some of these finer points because the middle of the day is not the best time to get water. Usually, you would go early in the morning or late in the afternoon. You wouldn't wait till the sun was straight up above where there was no offering of shade or relief. It's far wiser to wait some other time. Even more interesting than that is the fact that this woman was a Samaritan and that Jesus was a Jew. These people did not get along. They did not like each other. They did not relate well. In fact, the text says Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus then goes on to tell the woman that he has living water. Well, this confuses her, as it would us. But then Jesus takes a quite serious turn, and he calls the woman out for her past married life. She has had five husbands and is currently living with someone who is not her husband. This gets her attention and brings us to where we find ourselves this morning. John is telling us about a woman who is less than trustworthy. She has made some decisions about uh, marriage in the past, and yet through her interaction with Jesus and through her... um, action with the people, we see uh, almost a whole village come to know the Lord. What the woman gets, and what John so rightly understands in including this account, is sharing our faith is actually far easier than we may imagine it to be. So, what I want for us this morning is I want us to look through this text, and I want us to see how it unfolds this question, what do I say when I share my faith? How do I share the gospel? Because if it works for this woman, this unreliable, untrustworthy resource, I think it can work for us. And once again, if we're honest, I think a lot of us desperately need this. We often think of ourselves as untrustworthy or unlikable or unreliable. We often fear ridicule, rejection, um, disagreement. When it comes to sharing our faith. Some of us may simply wonder, well, what do I say? How do I answer that question? There are three themes in this text that hopefully will calm our fears and bring understanding. First, we will see the need to speak the truth about Jesus Christ. Secondly, we will see the benefit of sharing what God has done in our own lives. And then thirdly, we will see a plea to bring them before Jesus himself. Let us take each of these in turn as we look through the text to hopefully make sense of it. So let us begin in verses 19 to 26 as we think about the truth about Jesus and our call to speak it plainly. You see, we live in a time, especially as an American or Americans, where a lot of people know about Jesus. They've heard His name. They're familiar with who He is. Even if they don't believe the Bible, they most likely can tie Him to it. They most likely can say, oh yeah, Jesus, the guy from the Bible. I know who you're talking about. But for as many people who know about Jesus, there's about that many different views about who He is and what He came to do and what He actually accomplished. The woman in our text, she had her own views about Jesus. She had her own set of understandings. She was a Samaritan, which makes her an unlikely candidate to have any views about Christ at all. She was most likely not liked by her peers. She had made these poor choices regarding men, which wouldn't make her very popular, especially to the females in her village. She was getting her water in the middle of the day. Why? Why? Because if that's the worst time to get water, she's least likely to run into anyone else. And yet she met Jesus face to face, quite literally. And he spoke to her, he spoke truth. He said that the Messiah would teach truth and save his people. And Jesus goes further and says that this will be done through the Spirit and in truth. And this is what separates true worship and false worship. And I love reading through this text because you can see the wheels turning inside the woman's mind. We have the benefit uh, through John as it seems like things that she was thinking, she just says them. And you can go from a very broad set of questions and broad set of statements to more refined and more refined and more refined till she gets down to that pointed question. There will be a Messiah and He will save us. Jesus declares himself that he is that Messiah. She has truth revealed to her and this causes an immediate response. The truth about who Jesus is causes her to run back to the very people she was avoiding. She wanted to go. It says she left all of her things. She left her water pot. She left it all and turned back and went into the town. The truth about who God is always causes a reaction in His people. Another important fact that we cannot miss in this account is where it takes place. We're taught at school, context is king. You must always search where does this story take place? What just happened? Well, just one chapter prior to this in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with another person face-to-face, and that is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, if you looked at him, would have been the perfect candidate to listen to Jesus, to hear him, and to believe him. I mean, you couldn't get better than um, a well-educated Pharisee. He would have had the right background, the right information, and the best education. He would have likely had most of the Old Testament memorized as part of his job. And yet, we end his story with doubt, confusion and uncertainty. He doesn't get Jesus' story about new birth. He questions it. He hears truth and doesn't respond as far as we know. But then we move forward one chapter to an unlikely source to this woman who had no reason to truly know about God and to truly trust in God, and yet she has truth revealed to her, and she responds Please never run into the temptation to think that God's salvation is limited. It is not limited by age, background, intelligence, finances, ethnicity, um, whatever it is. God's message is for all people. It can change anyone's life. But this truth must come from God's word. It's the power of His word that changes people. And that's it. It's really that simple. Speak the truth about Jesus. We could just about say amen here and be done, but I think there's more that we need to hear. Listen to another conversion story from a famous minister who I admire greatly. Charles Spurgeon recounts of his own conversion. Because of a snowstorm, the 15-year-old's path to church was diverted down a side street. For shelter, he ducked into the primitive Methodist chapel on Artillery Street. An unknown substitute preacher stepped into the pulpit and read his text. Isaiah forty-five twenty-two: Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. He had not much to say, and thank God for that. For that forced him to keep repeating his text again and again and again. There was nothing else needed, not by me any rate, than this. Then, stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery and said, That young man, that man there, he looks very miserable. And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, Look, look young man, look now. And I had a vision. Not a vision from my eyes, but a vision from my heart. I saw what a Savior Christ was. Now, I can never tell you how it was, but no sooner did I see who I was to believe than I also understood what it meant to believe. And I did. I believed in that very moment. And as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told me of the pardon I'd found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God. Upon his return home, his appearance caused his mother to expire. To exclaim, something wonderful has happened to you. For the next months, young Spurgeon searched the scriptures to know more fully the value of the jewel which God had given him. When we share the gospel with someone else, we start with the truth. And that truth is the truth about God. It's the greatest story that can be told. Without Christ, there is no gospel, there is no message. Tell them about Jesus. You've got to. You've got to tell them about Jesus. We're sinners. We're sinners who cannot save ourselves. The Bible says we're dead in our sin and we need help. The best news is is that help came. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, God Himself lived a perfect life, but then He did the unthinkable. He died on behalf of His children so that they may have life. He who never committed a sin became sin so that we might be declared righteous before God. God accepted this sacrifice. Tell them this. Tell them about Jesus. This woman, she had a little knowledge. She rightly knew or or came to believe that a Messiah would come and that Messiah would speak truth. Jesus reveals himself before her. Here I am. Here is what you are looking for. I am He. There is nothing that the lost world needs to hear more. Don't underestimate the power of telling someone about the Savior. Be encouraged, friend. This is all you need. You don't need fancy rhetoric or a seminary degree. All you need is the truth about who God is and what He has done. And it's that simple. I find it helpful, though, if we don't stop there. Not only do we need to tell them about Jesus, but as we're doing that, we should tell them of what He has done, and what better place to look than in our own lives. In verses 28 through 30 and verse 39, we see our second point, and that's we must share what God has done in our own lives. Listen to what happens in the story the woman runs back into town. Meanwhile, Jesus has this very interesting conversation with his disciples about what he was doing. He tells them that there's a harvest and it's ready to be gathered, and that they were about to see it take place. It was pretty much a sit back and watch this kind of moment for the disciples. The text says, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. And just a few verses later in verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. One of the best tools we have when sharing our faith is the ability to tell what God has done in our own lives. We all have a story to share and it's different. Yours is different than mine, which is different from your neighbor's, and that's what makes it so beautiful. We're not all the same. We're not cookie cutter. We're not identical. We all came to this place from different backgrounds and circumstances. Let me share with you a little story about my own life to show you how helpful this can truly be. I, did, I grew up knowing the Lord, I am so thankful for the family He placed me in, the parents and the grandparents who loved the Lord so much that it's all I've ever known. I trusted in Him and I believed in Him. Some of my earliest memories are memories of prayer to the Lord and of reading the Scriptures. And yet, if I was to describe my elementary and junior high years, I would consider myself quiet, shy, arrogant, and at times angry. I, you see, I thought myself better than everybody else. I'm naturally smart. The Lord's blessed me with an ability to understand quickly. I pick things up, and this had some interesting effects on me at school. Sometimes it helped me, and it gave me praise by my teachers when I could answer the question just as they were asking it, almost waiting until they would finish before I could give the answer. This would also hurt me in school, for when I was bored, I would read through the chapter and learn the whole chapter and then not pay attention that week, Um, and would often drag others down while I held the information myself. I often bragged about how I understood better than my peers, and sometimes understood better than my teachers, or so I thought. And if something bothered me, I internalized it. I didn't really like emotion, that was too loud. And so I would push it down. I would shove it in, like pouring something into a bottle. And I would just try to get more and more and more in there so I didn't have to deal with it. Because emotion is kind of scary. One day at lunch, though, in junior high, I remember sitting there. And there was this student we had just came out of a class, and I don't know what class it was, but they made some uh, factual fallacy. They made an incorrect statement. They said something that was wrong. And while I don't remember what it was, I do remember that I thought it was so wrong that they needed to be corrected, and they needed to be corrected in such a way that they wouldn't make that mistake again. And so I leaned over to them and as I went I got louder and louder as you know my preaching voice tends to do. And I told them, you are wrong, and how dare you think that way, and I can't believe you weren't listening to the teacher, of which I probably wasn't either, and I can't believe that you didn't get this right, and how are you sharing this with others, and I just can't believe that you're at school, and you're probably going to end up dropping out, and you're going to have to work at the local fast food restaurant for the rest of your life, and that's the greatest thing you will ever accomplish because you got this piece of information wrong time I was done, they were ground into a little pile of dust before me, and I felt really good that I had saved the world from factual errors. I sat alone for the rest of that week. No one really wants to sit with someone that that has that explosive type of attitude. And then um, something that to this day rings in my ear, a friend of mine um, who wasn't at the time but would later become She said, Aaron, you know, you call yourself a Christian, but you really don't live like Christ lived. I don't think that Christ would respond the way that you do, and others don't appreciate that, and that's why people don't like being around you, and they're, frankly, they're afraid of you. You need to rethink how you live and what you're doing, because if you're claiming the name of Christ, you're sinning by not living like it. This shook me. It Caused me to think about everything. It caused me to take a step back and go, Oh my goodness, I I am misrepresenting Christ. I am doing disservice to his name. I am calling on his name and yet living like I am God. It took several years for God to break this attitude in my life and in my heart. And when sin rears its ugly head around me, the sin of pride and arrogance is often the first place I have to check. God humbled me through the rest of my high school years and through college. Now, why do I tell you this particularly embarrassing story that would have been very easy to keep hidden for the rest of my life? Well, if I never shared this with you, you might be tempted to think that this is the way I've always been. That this this errand that you see is is the errand that there always has been. I am very thankful for who the Lord has made me to be. And I have so many people to thank for that. And so many um, godly men and women who walked alongside me and stood in front of me. And a lot of times told me, you're not living right. But it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't quick. And I'll let you in on a secret. I'm still going through it. I'm not there yet. Others need to hear this, though. They need to see that we're not perfect. They need to see our shortcomings. People need for us to be like the story of the Wizard of Oz. They need the curtain pulled back to find out that the great wizard is just an old man with a microphone. They need to see the truth. None of you are above God's saving grace. Think about this in our own text. This woman was most likely not thought of fondly. She turned right around and went into the town to the very people whom she was avoiding. To the people who made fun of her most likely and talked bad about her and ignored her and stood extra wide as she was coming down the street. She goes to that place and tells them Jesus said everything that I've ever done, he knows me, and yet instead of laughing or running or turning away, he stayed and he spoke to me in love. Could this be the Christ? But if that's not enough, let's go to another biblical figure. How about Saul, who later would become Paul and write 13 books of the Bible? We might want to model our life after him, right? Well, think about his story. He was at the stoning of Stephen. He was on the road on his way to kill more Christians. Business is normal. Because to him, that was the most godly thing to do. And then God struck him blind and met him in the road. And turned his entire life around. We have all made mistakes. We who are Christians are sinners. The only difference is is we're sinners saved by grace. We must share how God has worked in our lives or we, we run the risk of making people believe that they're not good enough for salvation. I was listening to NPR this week and there's this phenomenon going on with social media in which people are growing so used to putting the best photos, you know, where you crop it a little tight because there's someone in the background that's kind of ugly and you don't want them in the picture Or there's that scenery going on that, you know, there's just smog. Or it was really a rainy day, but if we adjust the the color and the saturation just right, we can make it look like it was sun shining. Or the situation where you've had a big fight with your family, but your mother says you will take this Christmas picture and these outfits that I picked out for you, and you will smile while you're doing it. And it looks great. But that's not what's going on, is it? And we run this dangerous risk when that's all we let people see, that they think that's how we are. We're not. That's not it at all. The truth is, is we're broken. We're messy. Things are hard. Things aren't easy, and yet God loves us all the same. Tell them that story. Tell them the truth. Share what God has done for you. But we can't stop there either. I mean, we have to come back to Jesus we must begin and end sharing our faith with Jesus. Let us once again look at our text and see the plea to return to Christ. In verses 40 to 42, we see bring them before Jesus himself. Now, you might be thinking that my first point is the same at the last point, and I've got a few marbles loose um, because of this school year, when, yes, you would be right. I mean, when I started teaching I at hair. Um, it's been an interesting year. But there's something that you can't miss. Um, There's something that you can't fail to see in this text. After the woman learned about who Jesus was, she went to tell her friends. She used her own testimony to bring the people to Jesus so that Jesus could meet them. John Calvin says of this text, From what followed, it is evident that Christ's compliance with their wish was highly proper. For we see how much fruit was reaped from two days which he granted their request. By this example, we are taught that we should never refrain from working when we have the power to advance the kingdom of God. And if we're afraid that our readiness in complying might be liable to unfavorable reports or may often prove to be useless, let us ask Christ for help through the spirit of counsel to direct us. The word believe now is used in a different sense. For it means not only were they prepared for faith, but that they actually had faith. It's not enough to know about Jesus or to know what He has done for others. The final step must be made, and that's to receive His work, repent of our sin, believe by faith that He is the Savior of the world and has forgiven the sin of His own. You know, I think a lot of us, and this is also true of myself, We're afraid to share the gospel because we're worried that it isn't enough. We're afraid that we might not be convincing enough or compelling enough or that we might leave something out. We're afraid that we won't do it right. The text says in verse 40, When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And here to me is the most beautiful verse in this text. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Let me make a point very clear here. Jesus saved those people, not the woman. All she did was share her testimony and draw them to Christ. Far too often, we get worked up out of fear that we'll make a mistake that we'll do something wrong, that people won't believe, and it'll be our fault. But the reality is, is we're called to sow the seed, not make it grow. That's God's job. Now, we might seem to be at a disadvantage to the woman. You're correct to think that in some way. We live in a time where we physically can't take them to Jesus. I mean, all she had to do is go, hey, there's this guy. He's outside of town. He told me everything I ever did. Go see him. But what we do have is 66 books that we're told is God's very Word to man and that it's sufficient for all things relating to salvation. God has, in His Word, placed it here before us in a language that you can understand and has made them, for the most part, cost-efficient in a way that we can all have one It's not hard to get. It's not complicated. We don't have to learn Hebrew and Greek. Praise the Lord. It's hard. We can read it in His Word in a language that we know. Here is Jesus. In fact, if you think about it, because we're post-resurrection Christians, we have God's message laid out better than she did. Jesus hadn't died when He told her about Himself. She only heard part of the story. We have the completed picture. In Romans chapter 10, it tells us, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him if they've never believed? How can they believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How can someone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news people cannot believe in God if they've never heard about Him. They cannot respond to the gospel if they've never heard the gospel. We must, in sharing our faith, call people to the gospel message and call them to belief. Now, it is also important to say just because we do this doesn't mean people will believe. Some people take weeks, months, years, decades to come to know the Lord. Others will never respond, for they would rather follow their own sinful hearts. But irregardless of the response, the call is the same. Share my word. Speak my truth. Do it in love. Because how are they to believe if they've never heard? Trust God to do this work. Be faithful in what He has given you. Boldly proclaim his truth to all when you have an opportunity to do so, and let him take care of the rest. So, what do we do when we share the gospel? What do I say? One, speak the truth of Christ. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Two, tell them what he's done in your own life. We're all broken vessels who have been saved by grace. Let them see us, the real us. And then three, and most importantly, bring them to God and let God do the work in them. You don't save anyone. You're just a a beggar who has found bread and you're telling others where you got it from. Take them to where you found the bread. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 promise us this. For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and does not return there but waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish all that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the very thing which I sent it for." Praise God that His Word will accomplish everything that He sent it for. Boldly proclaim that message. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth that is found in it. Thank You that it is so simple that anyone can hear it and believe. Thank you that it is so complex that we will spend the rest of our lives and all of eternity unfolding and unpacking and realizing how true it is and how good it is. Help all of us, Father, to share our faith boldly. May we speak your truth and do so honestly and with confidence. May we speak of what you've done in our lives, our shortcomings, our failures, even the times that we make mistakes. Because then we show the world that we are sinners, but we're sinners saved by grace. And we have a good message to share. And not only that, may you draw them to yourself. May you complete the work in them. Lord, help us to sow the seed. Help us to place our trust in you to grow it. We thank you that you promised the people of Israel through Isaiah and promise us today through him that your word will not return to you void but it will accomplish everything that you have set out for it to do. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Be with us now as we continue to celebrate you, who you are, and what you've done. Be with us the rest of this day and this week, and we ask this in your name. Amen.